0: I just spat on your picture. Oh wow. Do you do you keep my picture in front of you when we podcast every time? Well, how else am I gonna know who I who I'm talking to? Well that's a that's a good point.
1: I mean like in a frame. Like I have your picture in a frame in front of me right now before we podcast every time. Mike, you didn't say we were getting
0: frames. No, I got a frame. I got a really nice frame. You don't have a frame for me? No, you you didn't say that we were getting frames. I didn't have to. We said we would talk about these things. I didn't have to. I thought it was implicit. Maybe this was a bad idea. The Big Show.
1: Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Talking During the Movie, a show where two jack-offs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm Mike. And I'm James. And uh, this is episode... uh, Wait. wait, Eighteen. Eighteen, which we have dubbed Mike and James, Rise of the Silver Surfer, for no obvious reason
0: whatsoever. No, we never do on-the-nose titles. Um, Mm. They're all all obscure, and you really have to think about them. Um, Yeah. Like Mike why so why the silver surfer? Well, you don't, you don't have to answer that.
1: And he's actually my favorite Marvel character and I was going to go into a whole thing, but I, okay, whatever. Huh,
0: yeah. well, I, that would have been impressive. You can blog about that one. <laughs> put, put one <laughs> when entry finally, into But I finally get into that. Okay, Mr. 3, 3 entries. Yeah. entries. You know what? It's like I would say that that's 3 times more than you, but you're at 0 right now. So well, there's like technically it's infinity times more than me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we got a we got we got a really packed show today, don't we? Oh yeah, we do. Man, I've been seeing a lot of movies. I am so excited for that. We are uh, gonna talk about some stuff, uh, but as far as movies, we're gonna review. Uh, Dark places. Well, so, I'm going to review oh, that oh, one. We
1: we as a collective are going to review two movies. Um, yeah. n- uh, regrettably, neither of which uh, is the recently dubbed masterpiece Fantastic Four, also known as Fan by uh by some clever internet comedians. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that movie we will discuss as a, a as a topic of movie news. But, uh, unfortunately, we will have to resign ourselves to next week to review that film, uh, which I cannot wait for, James. And, and, uh, you know, now that you turn me on to MoviePass, I, I don't really feel bad in, uh, in a- actually going out and seeing it. I mean, I feel bad for,
0: you know, supporting it, but, I mean, whatever. I yeah. Custom- I mean, it's, it's not going to be the best. So, yeah, after we don't review, um, Fantastic Four, we're going to be collectively reviewing The Gift, which just came out. We're we're reviewing a movie that came out, like, two days ago instead of ten days ago. I'm really excited about that.
1: We're keeping the Sunday release date for this week, and uh, I'm happy because I feel like in this one sense, we're actually using it to, uh, to the advantage of the podcast, as opposed to just reviewing, you know, stuff from the week prior, although we also have that review of uh, of MI5 Rogue Nation uh, Mission Impossible yeah,
0: so i've i've been sincerely trying to um i've been sincerely trying to make it more current in our reviews um so you know it's not stuff that you're that maybe you haven't already seen or have already put from your mind the idea of seeing so i'm excited for this and i hope that maybe we can do more stuff like this uh, for that, maybe review one current and one, um, one old one. But
1: you know, I... yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like our, our personal schedule. My okay. I'll take the hit on this. My personal <laughs> schedule is in too much flux right now to guarantee that mm-hmm. every single week, uh, at least on my part. Um, but I'm doing the best I can. I- I'm moving. I'm going. You know, moving into the city, getting a new job. Got a whole lot of change coming. So I'm I'm doing my best to stay as current as possible. Mike,
0: no one cares about you. You're we're two jackoffs. Okay. Well, no one cares Oh my god <laughs> okay. Wow that hurt more than I thought it would <laughs> Like no one just besides me Just because we're jackoffs doesn't mean we don't have feelings I know but you could Well I was going to say that they could follow you on Twitter But you don't have a Twitter
1: Fuck um... you F- I have a Twitter It's just I haven't touched it in three years Because it got hacked
0: <laughs> You're the one who doesn't exist
1: <laughs> You don't even have a Facebook page Face it dad <laughs>
0: God. We should uh, cut that out. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll totally cut it out, Mike. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm winking to our to our audience. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, but I also saw Dark Places, uh, a movie that Mike was like, yeah, dude, I'll totally watch that. And then uh, today said, no, I totally didn't watch that. Yeah, yeah,
1: sorry I didn't make the three showings that are anywhere in my area because I didn't want to go to Seattle. Because there is, at the same time, a Mariners game, a Taylor Swift concert, and a Bernie Sanders rally. Those sound like perfectly
0: normal things. Oh my god.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Sorry. Yeah,
0: duh, also, totally I,
1: understandable. But yeah, so I I, I was not able to see Sean the Sheep, which I am I'm, I'm
0: very eager to see. But yeah, uh, alas,
1: is, another show. We're gonna um, be seeing
0: a lot of movies. Let's just get right into it. Let's get into the nitty gritty, the newsy newsy. Um, I don't have any anything clever to say. No, just stop about it. Just stop it. That was terrible. Uh, okay. Does it? So I. D- does speak, no
1: one care about me? Speak, speaking of terrible. Deadpool trailer came out this week.
0: Man, I didn't know which one you were going to go first, so okay, all right, no, Deadpool trailer. No, no, no,
1: Deadpool, because I feel like the other one we're going to get in to potentially rant territory, and I don't want to just kick off with that, it's too abrasive. Okay,
0: so that's, this means that you cannot talk about Ryan Reynolds. So uh,
1: because I've, I've already real...
0: talked about Ryan Reynolds. Okay, good, good, we've got and, that, because... <laughs>
1: and and uh, uh, Jordan Whitford, one of our devoted listeners, has, has talked to me... Uh, as, as asked me about Ryan Reynolds and why I hate him so, and, uh, I, you know, I, I tried to give a, a reasoned response to it, and, uh, you know, maybe when I boil boil it all down, James, it's just his smug self-satisfaction, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that is that is very much on display in this hilarious new trailer from 20th Century Fox for their new Deadpool film.
0: Mike had a pretty intelligent, that I'm not going to steal from him, uh, just setting him up, a pretty intelligent analysis of this of the style of comedy on display, and in the trailer, and how it's so pervasive in in comedy in general today. I think I think you're overstating it a bit, but I, I, I don't, you know, it's just an observation. I,
1: with the actual Deadpool trailer, I was looking at where the comic beats were going to come, right? Deadpool's a character. The, the reason people love him so much is because he is self-aware. He he's he's the ultimate postmodern superhero. He is aware that he's a comic book character and he's he's willing to have as much fun with it as humanly possible. And so the comedy in the Deadpool trailer is very important. So much so that there was a trailer to the trailer, which you know the internet collectively shat their pants over how funny it was, um, and uh, you know, admittedly, it was it was pretty good. Uh, 20th Century Fox took a pot shot at itself for its depiction of Deadpool in X Men Origins Wolverine. Lo and behold, when I get to the actual Deadpool trailer that came out the next day, the the predominant mode of comedy seems to be this form that I am dubbing and i am trademarking as you look like comedy which we referenced in a previous show when we were reviewing spy um it's a form of comedy that essentially comes from describing in in increasingly absurd and creative ways what another person looks like um i believe the highlight of this trailer was you look like freddy krueger mated with a topographical map of utah
0: yeah. Um, uh, and uh, even if you like strip away the, it doesn't have to be in that same form. You look like X. Like if, if you even strip away those very obvious jokes, one of the first things that Ryan Reynolds, one of the first jokes that Ryan Reynolds makes is, oh, you're going to leave me with, with more angry Rosie O'Donnell. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So just it, just it's just because you didn't just say you look like, comedy. it's just, yeah, it's, it's now, metaphors and similes and it, they're now, just, now, yeah. Now what's my problem to something with something funny?
1: Yeah. Now what's my problem with this form of comedy? I mean, it can often be funny. I, I may laugh at it. My problem is there's nothing, there's nothing at all cinematic about it in the slightest. It is entirely verbal. You could listen to it on a comedy album and every single ounce of that comedy will be transferred to you in the same way. There's nothing visual or, uh, you know, in, 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 in no way is it suited to the filmic art form. you know that there's nothing about it that necessitates it being in a movie. It could be delivered in any context. You could read it and it'll still be the same joke. So if you're having this ultimate postmodern superhero, this this self-aware, you know, meta character, why are you resorting to this like base level of humor? It's
0: not base, I guess, but it's Well, it's, it's reductive though. It's it, it, reductive, and it's... it boils it down to these.
1: Yeah, it's honestly
0: XD so random style jokes.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's very like it's it's playground taunts. It's it's your mama jokes. It's like it it's such a blunt thing to anchor the humor of your movie on. That that honestly, this isn't like Spider Man where the humor is an undercurrent. This is the humor is the reason why people love Deadpool. At least from my understanding, you know, I, I'm not a super I actually didn't really know that much about Deadpool until a few months ago, so, and I still do not really know that much about Deadpool, but, you know, from my understanding, you know, humor is, comedy is central to this movie, and I'm sorry, this trailer did not really make me laugh that much. Even the, like, I I was waiting for the big, like, self-referential, like, uh, curtain to be pulled off, and, like, you know, the whole, like, overly serious opening third of the trailer to be shown to be a complete ruse. And it wasn't, it seems like there are weird parts of this movie that are just going to be taking themselves absurdly seriously for some reason. Um, and yeah. Okay. Ryan Reynolds was like fun to listen to his Deadpool. And it was, I guess like I'm supposed to laugh at him going nuts and shooting everyone like, like, uh, like everyone did when that happened in kick-ass. Like I, I'm, I'm hoping we're not going to totally get what Kickass was because I'm notoriously not a fan of that, and uh, we actually may bring that movie into a, uh, uh, and on the contrary, at some point. But um, no, I, I was not impressed with it. I, I, I feel like every element of visual comedy had been. I don't want to just say it's been done before. It's in bad taste, I think, and uh, every element of com, you know, every other element of comedy was a pretty weak, you look like joke, which I'm, you know, I've had my grips with. And that was one of my criticisms of, uh, of Spy, even though I really enjoyed that movie overall. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, this, I, I... It, it does not bode well for my opinion on, on Deadpool.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly in agreement, you know, and watching the trailers, I noticed it at first and I just didn't put it into the right words. And then you texted me, I was like, holy crap, this is exactly what I've been thinking. <laughs> so I don't... I, I'm still going to... I'm obviously still going to see the movie. It's and Of course. I don't, it's, yeah. it's... Everyone is... It,
1: it's going to be in a... Ev- this movie is already an event before it even comes out. So, you know, it's unavoidable. But I'm, I'm saying I'm expressing a lot of doubts beforehand. Um... And who knows? This may be me being completely wrong. I just I I feel like this is this is a recurring thing with us. You know, we're constantly coming back to Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool. So you know what? I I, maybe part of me just can't wait till we can bury the hatchet and I can just have a definitive say on it and and move on.
0: That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Um, for now we can move on temporarily. All right, and go to uh the aforementioned Fantastic Four. While we can't review that this week, we can't resist talking about it. We can, we can it. review
1: its director.
0: Yes, we can. The director, Josh Trank, who tweeted and quickly deleted uh, said tweet, um, talking about his fantastic vision for this film, and that it would have been would have had great reviews, but you'll never see it because of the studio.
1: Yep. The tweet verbatim was a year ago. I had a fantastic version of this and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's really tough. He he absolved himself of all blame for the terrible reception and now terrible box office
0: reception of Fantastic 4. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. Like I I've long been and I don't even let Directors I respect get away with this, namely, of course, is David Fincher, right. um, who wants, who tries as hard as he can to disown Alien Three, but it's it's his movie and it will forever be his first film as director, and no matter what he says. And honestly, for me, it's about that you got paid for it. You know, if you yeah. wanted, if you wanted to leave, if you wanted to leave, you could have. No one was stopping you, Josh Trank. <laughs> yeah, I heard. Uh, a Oh, I'm sorry. I'll let you finish, and then
1: I have a kind of a follow up to that too.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no one was stopping Josh Trank from if he had if he had Gretsch with the studio, which exists. I am not going to yeah. ignore that studio pressure. That, I'm not going to ignore studio pressures. They have a, a big effect on directors. So much so that this year, th- three directors have dropped out of projects that they didn't like the studio pre- pressures for. Sofia Coppola dropped out of Little Mermaid. Um, Ava DuVernay dropped out of Black Panther. Michelle McLaren dropped out of Wonder Woman. All because they didn't like the direction it was going. And if they didn't sit around, collect a paycheck, and then bitch about
1: it. There's also Edgar Wright who um, left Ant-Man. I, I forget if he was let go or if he quit, but it was definitely over artistic uh, differences yeah. with the studios. Um, he also did not badmouth Marvel from what I heard. He did not... Uh, he, did, he didn't... Throw a tantrum and act like a child. He wasn't infantile the way that Josh Trank is being. Um, I want to. I want to build off your comments about about accepting a paycheck for it. I heard a. Um, I was listening to a podcast called The Canon, um, and they were discussing the the co-hosts were discussing uh, the idea of uh, the difficult aspect of being a reviewer is. A difficult aspect of being a reviewer is uh, attribution. Saying that you loved or hated a particular line in a film, a lot of times you have a writer come up and say, "I didn't write that line. The studio put that in," um, or you know, somebody else, you know, completely worked over my screenplay. I that's not my work. Um, and Devin Faraci is one of the co-hosts, and he had a really good point to make. He's like, "I, I understand that oftentimes we don't, you know, it, it's we attribute to." We attribute that to someone who's not truly the author of it. But here's the ultimate question. If you won an Academy Award for that, would you accept it? And if you, <laughs> and if you would accept it, then you take responsibility for it. And you also get to take criticism and blame for it. That's the ultimate line. So in in a similar vein, yeah. And honestly, I believe that if, uh, if we lived in an alternate universe and Fantastic Four won an Academy Award... As is. As is, for Josh Trank, uh, he would accept it.
0: Oh, Uh, big fucking uh, (laughs) shit-eating grin on his face, too. Yep. Um,
1: if we're... Look, part of the reason I'm being really hostile... Well, I mean, we're both being hostile to Josh Trank, but, like, there has been a lot of coverage around his supposed behavior on set and off, honestly. Um... In the production of Fantastic Four, there were reports of him showing up to set high or drunk. There were reports of him doing drugs on the set, like behind one of the lots.
0: Yeah, trashing um, an apartment.
1: Th- th- like. th- the studio kicked him out of the apartment that they were that they were you know keeping him and his girlfriend in, and. Ke- <laughs> That guy sounds like they were prisoners. They they were staying there, um, <laughs> and they got kicked out. And uh, supposedly, like none of this is a hundred percent confirmed, but uh, multiple sources have corroborated it. They uh, responded by trashing the room and then wiping dog shit on the walls of the apartment. And of of none course, of, like he got he got kicked off the Star Wars. Uh, anthology film as well that's that's news from a while back like this yeah. is not this is not happening to a genius auteur this is happening to this person who honestly quite frankly seems like a complete asshole who made one decent film which is chronicle which i liked you know it wasn't like a, a masterpiece it wouldn't have been a top 10 in that year or anything but it was good no <laughs> um so I'm I'm honestly baffled at I, I see articles like will we ever see, see Josh Trank's true version of Fantastic Four and will we you know what who's really to blame for this and honestly I'm like honestly who the fuck cares this guy is clearly acting like an infantile brat like the, this with his career and he doesn't honestly he doesn't deserve to have one if this is his treatment part of being a filmmaker is Being able to... If you're a mainstream filmmaker and you're working in the studio system, part of being a filmmaker is navigating that system, using it to create as close to your artistic vision as possible. And filmmakers have not... They've been doing this for decades, all right? This is what Hitchcock did. This is what Fincher does now. Uh, You know, Orson Welles had a hard time with it. Like This is what the senior Coppola did. This is what the Coppola senior did with The Godfather. He, They put their blood, sweat, and tears into their work, and, like, yeah, they don't always get Final Cut, but they do the best they can, and they don't throw a fucking hissy fit over Twitter when things don't go their way. Like, you, you take responsibility for what you've done, and you own up to it. I'm not saying the studio didn't interfere and potentially make the movie a lot worse, but I'm also saying that this is... Not like 20th Century Fox also controls the X Men series, and that franchise is, is doing really well. I love their last X Men film, Days of Future Past. That was actually one of my favorite superhero films that year. It kind of got overshadowed by Guardians of the Galaxy, which I also love, but
0: yeah, that was and, a- I, I said earlier, those are probably two of my top three Marvel yeah. movies. Like yeah. if I'm Marvel movies as a whole, not just MCU films, yeah, um, so it's not like 20th Century Fox is like completely like fucking over
1: all their superhero films like they've been successful before so like yes there was studio interference sometimes there has to be and we do not know all the behind the scenes goings on but I-, I really am kind of appalled when i see reactions to this that somehow treat josh trank like a genius auteur when a
0: victim like a victim
1: like, too, a victim. Okay. like no I don't have proof huh. of what he did behind the scenes. I, I don't or behind the scenes. I don't. Well, I don't, I don't even care to have proof. I, I don't, don't want to pretend that's definitive.
0: You, but there are multiple people saying that he was quite negligent. Okay, and I and I want to be I want to be clear when I say I don't care that I have proof. I, I care one way or the other if this guy did what people are saying he did. But the thing is, people are still saying it about him, and they don't they don't say that about you because you're a good guy. You know, even if these reports are exaggerated, you're you're getting yourselves in these situations. You know, and it, it's not a it's not a guilty sentence that that we're saying here. We're saying that this is a, a guy who a lot of people don't like, who a lot of people work with him, and that's at the very least. If if everything is false uh, about what people are saying uh, about the apartment, about being being drunk, or whatever, people don't like him, and that's why they're saying it. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, uh, we don't have facts. So, one,
1: James, one question that we have had to ask ourselves before, um, as reporters, back when we were, you know, we're, you know, working in college together, was what's the minimum story here? Like, you know, say, yeah. say you go into something not knowing all the facts. What's the minimum story here? Well, at the very least, this tweet is one way or another. Whatever Josh Trank is truly responsible for, this tweet is. Just a sig- sign of an abysmal character uh, on exactly, this yeah. part. Just, just completely. Tra- first of all, trashing his own film, like his. I don't care if he's disowning it. His name's on it. It always will be. Um, he got paid for it. He got paid for it. It's he directed this movie. Um, trashing that movie, trashing the studio, and and absolving all blame for anything that could be wrong with this movie. And then saying that we would have loved it, saying that it
0: would have gotten great reviews. No, that uh, was something I want to talk about specifically. Focusing yeah. on not not making a project that he really, really cared about that was really close to him. He was saying it would have got great reviews. Yep. Like, are you kidding me with this? You yeah. made a great comparison when we were talking about yes, that I, with, I, with I, Michael I Bay.
1: Mentioned, I mentioned that it, this is like when Michael Bay absolves himself of all criticism for his movies because he says it puts butt, butts in seats. He says yeah, that his movies you're are right. successful. Transformers are so, hits at the box office. So what are you criticizing them for? Well, we're criticizing them because that does not make a, a good work of art, and that doesn't make something that you yourself have put effort into. That's just you've clearly tapped into something that makes a shit ton of money. Yeah, you're primarily, primarily like the overseas. Common denominators. Primarily great. overseas, honestly. That, that's where a lot of Michael Bay's. Uh, you know, that's where the highest uh, earning, uh, the highest earning countries. Sorry, the the countries in which the film earned the most were overseas uh, in those last couple films. But like that does not that's not something to hold up as a paragon of quality or or good craftsmanship or artistry. That's that's a cop out, and honestly, that, that's what he's doing with. His supposedly great vision of Fantastic Four that would have gotten great reviews, um, he's not saying, you know, that would have been something that I would be proud to put my name on or that's something that's more true to my vision. It's – nope, that would have gotten great reviews and we wouldn't be under, like, the press shitstorm we are now. Because honestly, this movie is the biggest news this week, bar none.
0: Yeah, which Um, is why we had to talk about it even though we don't – even though we haven't reviewed it. It's also, like – dying at the box office yeah it's it's gonna make less it's projected to make less than sony's the green hornet in its opening weekend the green hornet starring if you remember which i i'm surprised if you do who
1: who remembers that movie
0: who remembers the movie exists yeah Uh, it came out in 2011 and it's made 33 and a half million and fantastic in its first weekend
1: see that that fantastic
0: four is on track to make 28 million
1: Jesus, see that was a shame because that actually is by one of my favorite directors working today, Michel Gondry. Um, I hope to bring him up more on future shows, but um, you know what? Though he took it, I, I did not see him throwing any fits and you know saying that his career was over. He picked himself up and he came out with Mood Indigo last year. Like he's he's still making things. He's still got a career. Uh, I I honestly after seeing. His response to this, we have not seen this movie. I'm not criticizing this. I, I, I'm not forming his opinion in any way based on my preconceptions for the film. I'm basing it off of how Josh Trank has acted. I really hope he does not get. I, I, I hope he, he, his career is not allowed to to blossom in, in anymore. Honestly, he doesn't. He's proven himself yeah. to not be deserving of it. It's it's really a shame because he. I, I'm sure he does. I mean, Chronicle was a good movie, and I'm sure he's got a fair amount of filmmaking talent, and I'm sure he could have done something with it, but it it sounds like he's honestly devoting himself to be a complete jackass, so I, I don't know, that's just not the kind of people who should have opportunities like this, sorry. Nope, nope. Um, and, yeah, and it's amazing. This is now the worst fantastic, re- worst-reviewed Fantastic Four movie. Which um, is incredible. Man, I
0: mean, I still want to, I still want to, I'm kicking around the idea of doing an, uh, um, a rewind review, a rewind review, as we've been calling it behind the scenes of the first Fantastic Four <laughs> movie. You know,
1: we could, we could just do Mike and James's Fantastic Show and do the new Fantastic Four and then the two original, not original, because there was one from the 90s that I don't, that no one saw. And I don't, don't even know if you can watch it anymore but
0: um, there was a there was a sequel to the fantastic form i can't remember what it's yeah, called that, that's what i'm saying it's yeah um i'll i'll, I'll think of it but
1: god damn it <laughs> <laughs> and yes and, and the new one's worse you than both of those it it has you know what you know what it has a lower rotten tomatoes rating and an even metacritic rating with pixels which is the which was the the movie bomb last week that was making the headlines. So Oh yeah, and
0: I, and I was going to actually bring up um when we were in our dis- I you just reminded me in our discussion of uh, the Deadpool trailer that a lot of the humor in, in in Pixels and in a lot of recent Adam Sandler movies is Adam Sandler looking pointing at someone and describing them in a funny and honestly mean way. Um, expecting us to laugh about it. So you know, that's not good territory to be in. If you're, if you're in the same comedic, uh, tier as Adam Sandler, you got to aim higher. Yep.
1: One last thing before we move on from this, I like, I, I just want to lament if this movie is truly as bad as everyone's saying, which I have no reason to believe it isn't. Um, what a shame because how much talent is in front of the camera? It this yeah. is a great
0: Miles cast. Teller, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, Our, uh, Bell.
1: Yeah, these are all very talented actors who've all had quite a bit of success lately. And, and it's
0: not like the source material is bad either. Like what, what's like, what's hard about making a, a good Fantastic Four movie? I don't understand. To
1: it. Me? We've proven that ensemble superhero films are
0: are definitely possible. Um, even like, from even Guardians of the Galaxy, ensemble heroes who no one's ever fucking heard of. No like, one's ever heard
1: of them. Don't I, look
0: and, me in the eyes and tell me you heard of them before and that. And there's I don't more want to of them. There's garbage. there's
1: five of them there. Like, it's if it's in terms of balancing character, like, there's, there's more in the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. Like... This it shouldn't. Apparently, there's just some curse on the Fantastic Four characters; they cannot get in a good movie. But anyway, we have not seen it yet. I don't want to pass judgment qualitatively on the movie yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I'm hearing, it's 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 just such a damn shame.
0: But yeah, no, this is all taking me to a really really dark place. Oh fuck! Hey! Yeah. Oh. oh! James James Cusnie is everybody. Ah, Chippy Wagers, um, <laughs> yeah, I saw Dark, Dark Places, um, which is a movie based on Gillian Flynn novel of the same name, and I was really interested in it, not only because of that fact, Gillian Flynn, who penned the both the source material and the screenplay for Gone Girl, David fincher has Gone Girl, but also because it starred Charlize Theron, who is awesome, was just in Mad Max, and has a very storied acting career, um, also distributed by A24 Films, who's been knocking it out of the park. They sure it, have. Been doing it well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and even had, like, Nicholas Holt in it, who's... So it was, like, the same it's, duo from Mad Max Fury Mad Road. Mad Max veterans? Jesus. I know, right? It was, like, Wait, it was really look, exciting to me.
1: Ty, Ty Sheridan, who's... I like him from The, the Tree of Life and uh, uh, Joe and Mud. Chloe Grace Moretz, too. Let's not forget uh-huh. about her. Of course not. And, of course, Christina Hetricks from, from Mad Men. So, once again, lots of talent here.
0: Um, yeah. Um, what did and... you think? What? I said, what did you think? Oh, okay. Sorry about that. You might kind of cut out. Oh, sorry. Um, man. <sighs> Huge disappointment. Oh, no. Yes. Gigantic disappointment, actually. Um, it <laughs> it makes me really reevaluate my feelings and what about, uh, like, Jillian Flynn and... Um, I, and her talent as a storyteller, um, yeah. This, you can't. I mean, say, you can't say okay. that because she didn't. She did she, not write the screenplay. So the it, screenplay. it it brought it brought me back to my my feeling about. Um, I, I've been second guessing. Mike Mike's been wanting me to do it, and on the contrary, for, um, the, uh, no country for old men. Mm-hmm. Um, and after I saw the counselor, I had to really evaluate if I didn't what I. Didn't like about uh, No Country for Old Men. and If it was Cormac McCarthy's source material, or if it was the Coen Brothers' direction, and I'm more and more leaning toward it being the source material, uh, especially after I saw The Counselor. So, um, and th- this sort of had a, a similar feeling to me. Like I, 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 need to sort of find the line of whether or not this is the source material of Jillian Flynn, or if this was something in the direction who. The director, I've never heard of before, but I know also wrote the screenplay. So um. so,
1: so, my question to you with that statement is, uh, does that mean that you can essentially draw lines between themes in, say, a movie like Gone Girl, which I believe was a favorite from last year for both of us, um, to something like Dark Places? And maybe okay, that's, so I, that's what's making the, you reevaluate Jillian Flynn.
0: So I couldn't have a I didn't have a good uh, through line in terms of themes and stuff like that. But here's here's what I know about the, watching watching Dark Places. Um, it, the movie, it it like held the in term, narratively. It completely held your hand and, and led you around. Um, in the most obvious and annoying way possible. I've never felt more led around by a, by a movie. And I think I'm not exaggerating when I said ne- when I say never. Never. Um, that, that's that's wow. Okay. Well, I mean, okay, so. If you don't know the plot, there's uh, Charlie Theron plays uh, someone named Libby Day, who whose family most of their fam most of her family was murdered uh, by presumably her brother, and I say presumably because she says it's her brother, and her brother's in jail for it, and then she gets confronted by by Nicholas Holt, who is part of this like innocence project club basically <laughs> and they, they don't even announce what they are they're just saying hey we're a bunch we're a bunch of people who who really like uh you know real true crime and we'd love to hear you talk about uh talk about what happened and this is many years after the fact of course like her uh she's an adult now um and she her response this is a, one of the earliest lines she says well, if you're going to try to convince me that my brother's innocent, you're wasting your time. I was like, I had never even thought that your brother was going to be innocent until the, screen, the screenplay just told me. Like, just now. So now the rest of the... What do you think the central conflict of the rest of the movie is going to be? Whether or not her brother's innocent. And by the way, how do they tell you whether or not her brother's innocent? They don't... She doesn't do much investigating. I mean, she does. She talks to people. And they... they the movie intersperses, like, present day and past scenes... So it just sort of the movie just sort of gives you the information that it wants to give you at the time, and it, so you know a little bit more about what happened. But it doesn't unfold organically. It's just like you know the the curtain puller is like oh oh, and now here's this piece of information. Here's this piece of information, um, and in the meantime, by the way, so melodramatic. It, it was it was a chore to get through because some there was just all this side drama that you did did not care about like she confronts her father at one point who asked her if if he is scared if she is scared of him uh uh like it, it was a big disappointment and my my comparison with with Gillian Flynn is I think I think narratively this movie was actually pretty cool uh you know the story it told and how it unfolded and how it ended was actually satisfying. You know, I was like, "This is mm-hmm. nice." However, characters were all bad. They were every single one of them was a bad. Was just not fleshed out at all. Kind of a throwaway. Even the, even Charlize Theron, I I called like a. Like a melodramatic uh, Luke Skywalker, who you, you know you just <laughs> is, is, she's a plot device. Her character is uh, is yes. there to have people tell her more about what actually happened.
1: She really um, has to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters.
0: <laughs> yeah. So and then so I was thinking, David Fincher, who directed Gone Girl, he is actually incredibly good at making narratively driven films about characters and about good characters. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if 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 Gillian it made me question whether or not Jillian Flynn is only good at writing a story, and not telling it, and not telling, not writing good characters. I mean, I have not read a single
1: thing by Jillian Flynn. I've heard her screenplay for Gone Girl, and that's about it. I haven't mm-hmm. read either the source material for Gone Girl or Dark Places. I will say, I feel like you're placing you're really quick to place blame on her when she seems to have had no input creatively into any aspect of this movie, including the screenplay, which could reinterpret her characters in any which way,
0: um, including the editing,
1: the editing, which can largely
0: be responsible for any sort of narrative or pacing issues. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just putting, I'm putting the pieces together here. Think about David Finch's movies. They're uh, like, Zodiac, The Social Network, Gone Girl. These are all these are all very on the face plot driven films, you know. But they're so good at creating really good, really interesting characters as the meat of the story, you know. Uh, Social Network is about how how Facebook came to be, but it's also about the throws that uh, Mark Zuckerberg went through in the meantime. You know, uh, Zodiac is about who the who the Zodiac killer is, and but it's also about the people. Uh, it's, really, it's really it's really
1: about the people them. whose lives are destroyed at, in in the wake of the Zodiac murders and how that how that crime spree just completely shifts the mindset of San Francisco in the seventies. Like it's actually a really like epic story about like an entire city, not just you know the whodunit of a, a crime procedural. I'll give you that. I will. Yeah. So, so I,
0: I I wonder. But so Gilles I have to. Flynn. I have to wonder.
1: Gillian Flynn introduces a very interesting theme, though, in Gone Girl, um, and this this may be. I'm assuming this was present in the source text, and this is probably why it was so filmable. Because that whole that whole story really explores a disconnect between appearance and reality, mm-hmm. and this notion of the social construct of who someone is. And that being the most important thing in our modern society that just, just who, just who you are and, and how you, who you are versus how you appear to people and how to any discerning eye, there's no real difference. That's such a, that's such an idea that translates so well to camera and is and is just in David Fincher's ballpark completely. Um, but that's also something that Gillian Flynn kind of introduced to Fincher. I at least from what I can tell, because that's not really that hasn't really been a theme so much uh, in in David Fincher's work before. And I really appreciated that element present in Gone Girl. So, uh, like I don't know. I feel like because David Fincher found a way to work Gillian Flynn's Thematic ideas cinematically—that's um, what allowed Gone Girl to work as well as it did. That's what made that movie as successful as it was. My question is: I, I, I having not seen Dark Places, I just—could it really be just a lack of real vision and and purpose for adapting this work into a film that resulted in a lot of your complaints about it? Because it seems, oh. honestly, I would not put it past that, that, that this film came out. As a direct result of the success of Gone Girl, in the same way that Paper Towns was made because of the success of Fault in Our Stars,
0: just cap No, I I, I can completely I can Gone completely agree with that. Perfect. You know, and and it worked. The only reason I saw this was because it was based on a Gillian Flynn novel, and I really liked. Um, really liked uh, Gone Girl, so it could easily just be a, a throwaway cash grab. And to be to be even more fair, I don't know how the, stru- the structure of this movie really uh, annoyed me with how it just shows what information to give me at the time to create more dramatic tension when you could have just told me the story. Um, yeah. And I don't know the structure of the novel Dark Places. Um, the only thing I was trying to get at was whether or not Gillian Flynn Can can write a good character by herself because I I, and I that's the thing is I don't I'm not saying movie that she did so Mike 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 Mike. I yes the thing is I am not answering the question I am asking the question and the and, and my answer is I don't know but this movie is making me ask that question whereas I saw Gone Girl and I had nothing but great things to say about Gillian Flynn
1: well I would say if you really want to know Gillian Flynn's skills as a writer reader novels um I, I like that that's my only uh, uh, like we uh, we cannot talk about dark places because i didn't see it but I, like i think it should be discussed primarily as a film i don't believe it, like that jillian flynn really should be brought into this unless you want to do a comparative review between the film and her novel in which case you have to also read her novel um so my like like, like i said i can only if i if i'm looking to jillian flynn uh, the only thing I can point to is her screenplay for Gone Girl, which I thought. But was it's true. Fantastic. But it's true.
0: You do have to give. You do. It, it, it's just. like, I'm asking the question, and you are, you are giving the benefit of the doubt. You're saying like yeah. I I am doubting, and it's and it, that's totally fine. But I don't. I want to. I want to be clear that I don't think either one of our viewpoints is more valid than the other. And my viewpoint is just asking a question, and you, and you're saying I well, it's it could be more of. That her characters were great in the novel, but they just weren't used well by the director, and and that's that's a totally possibility. But it is it's no more solidified than than my asking the question of whether or not she has that ability to write good characters.
1: It's true, but I'm going off of that with from what I've seen and what I've seen from Gillian Flynn is her screenplay for Gone Girl. I it, like I I I understand that the reason we're talking about Dark Places is because of Gillian Flynn. <laughs> um, and, and her connection, but like, you know, between gone girl and dark places, the, the connection is Jillian Flynn. Um, but, uh, you know, not having read the novels, I, I, I'm not comfortable, you know, I, I'm not even, I don't know. I'm, that's why I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt because the one aspect of her work that I've seen cinematically is gone girl. Um, and maybe that was just a perfect story. Maybe that was honestly, it's been probably the best received or at least the most successful of her novels. Um, and it it was you know she was given control over the screenplay and it was handed over to maybe the best mainstream Hollywood director working today or certainly in the in the ballpark. So certainly I mean, one who knows how to
0: do the best characters.
1: Yeah, and and you know tell it cinematically and streamline the story, make it sleek and and make it flow. And um, honestly, that, that film was also masterfully edited, which is, you know, something that can also completely fuck up the flow of a story. And from my understanding, uh, it was edited a lot differently than the story progressed in the book. Um, The the perspectives were a lot different um, Mm -hmm. because David, David Fincher had to communicate things cinematically without the... Fluidity of perspective if that makes any sense he doesn't have he doesn't have a first person omniscient he doesn't have a first person view it's omniscient so he had to structure a little bit differently i think he completely landed on his feet with that did you know made the adjustment perfectly um, but that takes a real cinematic vision that not a lot of filmmakers have so if maybe Gillian flynn's uh other novel dark places was as um in terms of structure was as challenging as gone girl was to adapt which actually from what i understand it was um or at, at least gone girl was difficult to adapt so if dark mm. places was equally kind of challenging in terms of a you know in terms of communicating uh different perspectives and and uh, a particular story structure um and you have someone without the craft of david fincher then it's you know it. It may not be a huge surprise if the results are less than satisfactory, but then again, I'm completely talking out my ass because I have not seen this movie and I have not read no, either novel. So, I mean... It's true. No, that's it's true. to think my, about as well, I think.
0: As I said, my biggest problem with this movie was how it treated its characters. They, they were just flat and boring. And then I, I think about the other Gillian Flynn-based movie I saw, which was Gone Girl, had great characters. What's the difference between these two movies? One had David Fincher, who is one of the better directors at dealing with characters and the other one didn't. So that it's, it's a very surface level of looking at it, but it's an interesting sort of discussion. And it made me ask that question.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Well, I, it's an interesting point. I'm still
1: more than willing to give benefit of the doubt, having not seen <laughs> dark
0: places. So and now okay. it's the perfect okay. time to okay. bust out our, our new rule um, <laughs> that I, I talked to you about before. That's your one. You get one benefit of the doubt per episode.
1: That's true. Well, this is mine. My benefit of the doubt is Jillian Flynn because I think, from what I've seen, um, this is someone. She uh, honestly, all I can claim is that she wrote a great screenplay. But goddammit, it, she wrote a really great screenplay of her own work. That, from what I understand, was not uh, like changed quite a bit about her work to uh, make it cinematic. And that yeah, and
0: I stress. I myself extolled her. What a challenging and challenging job that was, and how she achieved it really well. When we uh, on our episode with, that we had Eliza uh, as a guest, mm-hmm. so I, I'm right there with you for Gone Girl, but it made me sort of ask the question, and not that there, not that I have an answer, but it made me ask the question of whether or not of how much David Fincher had to do with that, in sort of in place of Gillian Flynn. I mean, I think you would have gotten
1: a much worse movie had you given it to someone without David Fincher's acumen. Mm. But I also think that the quality of that writing would have shown through. Just, you know, even if handled with a, you know, with less tact in the editing, less tact in the characterization and the storytelling. I I feel like the the qual you know, the the strength of that screenplay would have at least shown through. So, you know, (sighs) The, and honestly, the fact that she had... It literally looks like she had next to nothing to do with Dark
0: Places. So, I... And, and that's t- totally fair. Totally yeah. fair.
1: And honestly, I'm more bummed now that we can't completely trust A24 films to just consistently pump out great movies anymore.
0: No, because this, this was not great. And I actually... I th- I thought I was going to be in the minority on this, but I think it's at like a 41 on Metacritic or something like it's, that. It's so... not
1: great. It, it's not great. The reviews aren't, aren't good, and I don't expect to... Hear yeah, I mean, A twenty
0: four made one of my two of my favorite films in the last two years uh, thus far. Anyway, Ex Machina and uh, last year, a most violent year. Um, and I don't even think that's scraping the a, surface of their
1: Not even. They, they look like just look at the other films they came out with. Um, they came out with uh, uh, Under the Skin, Locke, um, The Spectacular Now, The Bling.
0: Oh, I think they did Clouds of Sils Maria too, which I mean, not not amazing, but
1: Clouds of Sils Maria.
0: Yeah, not not amazing, but you know certainly you
1: know worth the better than dark places (laughs) Um, while we're young young, which i enjoyed more than you and yeah they have enemy which i think we should get to on one show like almost every single one of their films has been at least worth discussing um man i I, like they've been doing great work it's really it's really sad to hear that dark places um didn't really cut it it sounds like That, that sucks
0: no it's not really up to snuff, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be uh, trying to plug a, an A24 film on the show. Sometime in the near future, I, I'm dying to review the end of the tour with uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel playing the late, great author David Foster Wallace, who I'm I'm going through a real phase of being into right now. Um, I've been reading his essays and and tackling, starting to tackle infinite jests. Um, <laughs> so... Maybe just because of that, but I I really want to see, uh, I, I I really can't wait to to be able to get into the end of the tour. I hope we can get to that on a near future show. That's also an A twenty four Films production. So, cool, cool. Yeah. Um. Now let's move on to films that both of us saw. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Definitely. Um. Just to uh. Just so we don't put it off any more than we already have, how about we start with the film that's already a week old?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, then. Mm-hmm.
1: Mission colon Impossible hyphen Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation.
0: I've seen Yet, it styled... They I... certainly get points for like the most punctuation in a movie title.
1: I've occasionally seen it styled Mission colon Impossible Rogue Nation, but that makes it sound like there's an impossible Rogue Nation.
0: Yeah, there's a, some so, rogue mission out there that's impossible. And this is an entry
1: of the movie of the movie series mission. But, impossible. Yeah. Ah, uh, we're we're certainly editors, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is the fifth installment in the Mission Impossible series, which has been going on for uh, has it been a full two decades? I I think, I, I think so.
0: Since the first Mission Impossible, there's been... There there's, there are huge gaps in between entries and Mission. Yeah, no, the first Mission Impossible is 1996, so very almost two decades. Jesus Christ. I kind of like that, though. I like that they... That's cool, yeah. <laughs> and and Meta- uh, Metacritic saw, saw fit to show all five in a in row instead of the regular... When this came out, instead of the regular which five movies are are doing well or not doing well, they showed, they showed uh, the... Most I think five. No wait, Are there six films or five? Oh, there
1: are five. This is the fifth one.
0: Yeah. Okay. So films. they showed all five films, and well they hold. They have aged apparently like fine wine because
1: they <laughs> yeah, have gotten each in...
0: one has been better than the last. Yeah,
1: according to Metacritic.
0: I, I've heard yeah, I mean, disputes on that, but uh, in
1: according to Metacritic, each one has has just been, has just increased in quality, and now we get the ultimate ferment of Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. Um, mm-hmm. James, I'm trying to get better at plot summaries. This one is a little complicated. Would you mind helping me out to get started <laughs> on this discussion of, of Mission? Yeah,
0: so I mean, there's the the in, in Mission Impossible has the IMF. That's their organization, and uh, Tom Cruise plays Ethan Hunt. That we know that. Um, but in this one, the IMF has gone to. They're kind of like a wild horse. Like, yeah, they get good results, but they always cause a lot of collateral damage, and they don't, you know, handle things very well. So, the CIA seeks to shut them down. And I think very early in the film, it's not too much of a spoiler to say that they actually do um, shut down the IMF because of their
1: sort yeah, of their that, that, unpredictable.
0: Yeah, because of their unpredictable nature, um, unreliable nature, they the CIA successfully shuts them down. Uh, CIA led by Alec Baldwin at the time. Um, and meanwhile, there is this secret, sort of unknown organization called the Syndicate, and you don't really know much about them other than they're trying to kill Tom Cruise. So Tom Cruise is trying to be killed, but they're all and they're so they're trying to stop that from happening, but they can't really do that because the IMF has been shut down. So I think that's they're it. they're bad man. Yeah, we go then we go from there. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah,
1: that, that that's about all you need really. Um One interesting thing about the Mission Impossible films is that every single one of them, up until this one actually, has kind of been a, a, a stylistic showcase for Kind of a pre-established director. Um, the first one was Brian De Palma, who is pretty much uh, a, you know a new um, new Hollywood darling from the nineteen seventies, who inspired like Scorsese and Lucas and Spielberg, um, and was is really loved in France actually, um, and and he kicked off the franchise to like you know mixed results. Um, John Woo helmed the second one, and he's just an insanely well-known. Uh, and venerated uh, Hong Kong uh, action filmmaker. J.J. Uh, Abrams made the transition from film er, from TV to film with Mission Impossible 3, and the last one was helmed by Brad Bird, who was, I believe, making his live-action directorial debut. Um, to surprisingly positive results. Um, yeah. This is maybe the first time... I-, I've, I-, I wanted to give a disclaimer that I have not seen any... Of these Mission Impossible films. I, this is, I'm coming in five movies into the franchise. I did not catch a single one of them before seeing it. I mean,
0: okay, to be fair, the only one I've, I think I've seen more of them, but the only one I really remember seeing is, is, uh, Ghost Protocol, because it was directed by my darling, uh, Brad Bird. My darling. Uh, (laughs) My dear. (laughs) Uh,
1: This is, this is the first one, though, that I can't name... I, I was not aware of this director at all. I, I, Christopher McQuarrie, who not only directed this film, but wrote the screenplay. Um, lo and behold, he actually kind of made his name as a screenwriter. Um, and his big break was actually the usual suspects from the 1990s. Yeah, like, um,
0: so he wrote the usual suspects, one of the, like,
1: no, I didn't know, his, but, but I didn't like see his name and be like, Oh, that, uh, boy, no, no, that, that's fair to see what he fair. does with this material. Um, mm-hmm. Turns out he may have had the, like, he had a very delicate, careful screenwriter's approach to this because is, uh, as as convoluted as the plot is, he moves it along really smoothly. Um, it also is so worth,
0: easy to follow. Too. Also
1: worth mentioning that he—I forget if I literally just said this—but he also wrote the screenplay for for Rogue Nation. Um, yeah, oh, I, I don't think
0: you did. But yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, he also was the screenplay writer, sole screenplay credit. Um, co-story story story credit um yeah this this movie went down real nice um and just i had a lot of fun with it and i I say this without a hint of irony or um like here's what i mean by that i feel like there's a a huge trend recently toward movies that are self-aware that are genre essentially genre spoofs or genre like you know uh, tongue-in-cheek genre films. Um, I think the most recent one, actually being a spy movie in a similar vein to this, Kingsman, which uh, I did not see, but like people have, these movies have generally been really well received by like you know film fans, and I feel like it kind of comes from a cynicism in the like in the sustainability of movie genres in modern cinema. And I think that kind of sucks. Like I, I, I don't believe that the only way we can have a good time in genre films, is, is to subvert and spoof genre tropes. Like, I I think you can have a good old fashioned time at the movies and like it, Honestly, we've seen a lot of that directed toward the spy genre this year because we've had Kingsman and
0: we also had the movie Spy. Yeah, this which... is the first legitimate spy movie of yeah. the year. And honestly, like the other one that's coming out is The Man from UNCLE directed by Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Uh, well, that... I guess it's The Man from UNCLE. And that might – I don't know. That I also not looks... but that might have the same tongue-in-cheek Yeah, tone it kind of and... looks like it does. And Guy Ritchie's – honestly,
1: Guy Ritchie just as a filmmaker – imbues that into every single one of his films. So I, I yeah, I'd be really surprised if it played it with a straight face. Um uh, but we also do have Spectre. Um and I think like, you know, uh, Mission Impossible is very much in a similar vein to James Bond. It's like a bit yeah, Mission Impossible may be around for 19 years, but James Bond <laughs> Yeah. It's a it's a bit more grounded, I think, Mission Impossible is than James Bond. Um though the new <laughs> series, the I don't know, the new series though I say grounded ironically, though, I guess, because Tom Cruise does start this movie off on the side of a plane. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I feel like both those movies are occupying a similar space in movie conscious now. And, like, I don't know. it's it's I, I like seeing the success of movies like this because, to me, there's something that rings so, like, classic about them. There's just – they're, they're – they're treating so sincerely a genre that's been around for like 50 years and and making it still incredibly entertaining and not skimping on crafts and not skimping on like just really, really fun set action set pieces that aren't like they aren't great because they're goofy. They're great because there's just they're, they're a lot of fun. I guess. I don't yeah, they know. Good,
0: <laughs> they have good spectacle, they have good choreography, like they're they're exactly that. They're they're fun to watch. You know, it's like yeah. It's, it's entertaining in, in not a way that's supposed to make me point and laugh at it, but it's supposed to take me along for a fun ride. Yeah. This one oh, holy
1: shit, man. There were I, I loved just about every single like huge action set piece they had in this movie um and that never happens i i i usually like single out one or two um i honestly like every single one of them was a highlight for me um the opening bit the 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 big stunt that they've been advertising the shit out of for this movie is tom cruise on the side of a plane and they shot it to look really real obviously it's it's You know, obviously it's an effect, you know, there's, there's digital enhancements. I'm not sure the extent to which there is something in front of the camera. Um, well, I mean, he
0: was, he was on the side of that plane. Like (laughs) he wasn't, there was a plane actually taking off that Tom Cruise was on the side of without any. No, so they. What he? I saw the making of that. He was actually hanging on the side of the plane, but they. Um, and it and it took off. It probably didn't fly very high. Um, Okay. But they they had like a little wire that was actually attaching him to the plane that they just digitized out. But yeah, he was actually he was actually there. Oh great!
1: Okay, thank you, thank you for making (laughs) me. Thank you for preventing me from going on further, looking like a complete idiot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm always here to help. And I love two things about that. One, it it understands the effect that something that feel like it, it understands the feeling of real in an action movie. Like that's not you could completely like how am I, how am I trying to say this? In lesser hands, that could have been played off as a cartoon gag. Um, in this movie, it's it's real suspense. It's it's like legitimate thrills. Um, The other thing I love about it is that it's that this huge stunt that's been advertised to hell is in the opening three minutes in a cold open and bears essentially no uh,
0: relevance to the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, they 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 get it out of the way at the very beginning. Yeah, a lot of a lot of action movies that have a a big problem with showing their coolest thing, thing in the trailer. Like I think of two about, about uh, uh, Terminator Genesis, like their uh-huh. big thing was flipping the bus, which is now just as uh, just as recognizable as nuking the fridge or jumping the shark, by the way. Um, uh, yep. They, they made the bus do like this oh, 360 front flip. And it was stupid and ridiculous. Yep. Um, and besides that, they showed it in the trailer. So, and that's like your, one of their, one of their, one of the coolest, quote-unquote, if not the coolest, action bit in the movie. So uh, it was really nice to go into uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and say, oh, they just they just get this out of the way. They're hyping this up, and now I can forget about it. And yeah. honestly, I, it wasn't the coolest stunt in the movie. It wasn't! Just, it wasn't yeah. at all, although it was great.
1: Don't get me wrong. It did not disappoint. But like, yeah. they, they didn't play their hand too early. Um, there is a wonderful... There's a wonderful uh, staged action set piece later on in the film that's like pulled straight out of Hitchcock. It's it's a um, opera house, essentially a, an opera house reconnaissance mission, it's taking so place cool. during a performance of Puccini's opera. Like that, it's it exudes the influence of Hitchcock and of like James Bond and it's pulled off with so much like bravara that I just I just wanted to applaud after it. It's so Bravo, bravo it, It's so good. It's an opera in and of itself. Like it it is. It's it's symphonic. And the, the cutting the cutting in that scene is masterful. Like I, I I'm not lying. This movie had fantastic editing. Um just, just between the different, cause you're in like two or three different locations at different times in that scene. Um, and they never make it incomprehensible. Um, there.
0: No, that's the. That's the thing. Like a, a editing, especially. But it, uh, no point throughout this movie was I confused about what happened in the oh. plot, where I was spatially. Like, and that's that's honestly a a pitfall of a lot of action movies. And this one kept me with it the entire time, which is what this thing is supposed to do. It like if you're gonna make your movie a roller coaster ride, at least don't take me out of my seat.
1: You know. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's not like
1: it's not as if the plot is without its twists. The, the, the thing is, there are plenty of twists in the film. There's, l- let's just say ambiguous allegiances.
0: Um,
1: yeah, of course. But that, I mean, it's a spy but, movie that, but it's it. a spy movie. And that's just a trope at this point. Um, and I feel like the movie cared less about surprising you with twists than from getting you smoothly between different points in the film. And honestly, just, just showcasing really great, um, Really great action directing. If these films are, if the Mission Impossible films are primarily a showcase of, uh, like stylistic talent in directing action more than anything else, I, I think this movie succeeded the best, and it, not just in the quality, the best. What am I saying? I have not. I have nothing compared it to. It succeeded though wildly. <laughs> um, and even beyond that, they worked in some. They worked in a lot of interesting character work. Too. Um, Rebecca Ferguson is, I think, probably the best performance in the film as uh, her name... Oh, fuck, what's her name? It's it, uh, Il- 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 Ilsa, Ilsa Faust. Faust. Yeah. Faust. Which is one of the greatest names in cinema history. <laughs> um, who plays an agent who I don't even think she entirely knows for most of the film where her true allegiance lies. Um, and she's honestly just trying to not die, um, and yeah. God, ah,
0: man. No, it, it was she great had... to see a character with that sort of motivation. That she had great
1: motivation, and she could play it on her face. Like she, she could mm-hmm. act. Uh, she could act just by looking. Um, which isn't to say she was she had any lack of great dialogue in the movie, but oh man, um, she. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there was a great economy of character. In, in her in the writing, for her,
0: yeah, and 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 even uh, Simon movies used to make people think Peg. Um, wow, did, well, you're, you're, you're not going to well. off the hook for that, are you? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> if we're not letting if we're not letting Josh Trank off the hook, we're not letting Simon Peg off the hook.
1: Oh come on, Simon. Okay, Pegg all right, all right,
0: that's, that's fair. All right, if you're not letting in your retu so off the hook, more. you're not letting Simon Peg off the hook.
1: <laughs> Fine,
0: okay, all right. Um, go on. Yeah, uh, no, and his—I didn't just—I didn't just bring up his character to poke fun at him for his previous comments, but because um, it—it was really cool. I had never seen him before in a different movie. Not sure that he, as I said, he may have existed in past movies, but I don't know. Um, and he, but he was a really cool part of the dynamic between uh, with with Tom Cruise. Sorry, I should say that better. He had a really great dynamic with Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt. Um, and he had that same on his face acting that you kind of didn't know whether what how he felt about Ethan at first, and then when you sort of do you, it changes entirely how you see his motivations. And he had to play it in a way that was convincing with given this new information and he definitely did the whole way. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that I
1: don't as, as, as great as the story was like, as easy as the story was to follow. Um, I will say it wasn't like for me, the most engaging spy story at all. It was very like, I I don't know. To to me, it was kind of uh, standard pretty much like, you know, there were bits in it that I, you could tell were, there, even individual lines that were kind of like trailer fodder like this is our last mission this or this could be our last mission make it count yeah. um, and you know the whole you know the, the whole thing with you know double agents and double crossing and you know the things that i need i remind you we under I, investigation and... for misconduct <laughs> <laughs> you know things that you anticipate before you even go into the movie you know i don't think this film does much to it doesn't subvert genre trends but it also doesn't transcend them you know it's it's a very uh it's a very standard i think spy plot and it has a very standard villain in it i wasn't overly wowed by uh oh fuck i uh, uh solomon lane was that the uh I believe so, yes. The villain's name. Yeah, Solomon I wasn't Lane. Overly, Solomon Lane played by Sean Harris. I, I I wasn't overly wowed by him as a villain. Um, I enjoyed him, but he was kind of like... Uh, in, in the same way I enjoy a Bond villain, you know, I never really took him to be a, 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 that terrifying or that seriously threatening. Although hopefully um,
0: Christoph Waltz will change that.
1: Hopefully Christoph Waltz will change that in, in Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there was not a huge, like sense of dramatic like tension for me watching the film it was it was a very standard spy plot that i i, I and I, I was fine with it uh it, it still treated itself with a straight face and for me the the highlight really was just using it as a way to get in between the 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 the, the story was enough to get me invested in the character's to follow them between the different action set pieces and then make those action set pieces interesting and suspenseful, um, that's what I will say. It, it's everything in the movie to, that's to its credit is in service to those those great action set pieces.
0: Yeah, you know, on the you know the topic of uh, sort of subverting or not subverting genre tropes might make the best transition we're ever going to have to our next film. So, do you want to just go to? Uh... Go to your recommendation or not recommendation for Mission sure,
1: Impossible? Sure, sure.
0: Okay, let's just do that. Um, I,
1: I completely recommend Mission Impossible as a great summer entertainment, and I don't mean that in any way to be condescending. Yeah, it's not um, a knock against it. Like, no, oh, no, it's a good this popcorn is not, movie. This is not a anything. movie that I even need a disclaimer for. Like, oh, you'll like it if you like go in knowing it's supposed to be a bad movie or something like that. I, which I, I'm, I'm sick of hearing that. Mm-hmm. This is I- I'm I'm relieved and refreshed that I can just say this is a lot of fun you will have at the movies. It is a wonderful summer blockbuster. Um you know, not a not a groundbreaker I guess like Fury Road certainly but certainly a lot of fun I feel like we've had some pretty great summer blockbusters this year this is definitely up there with uh, the best of them
0: yeah, and definitely uh, for me too I don't have much different to say about it, it you know in terms of I, I don't have any reservations that uh, weren't weren't discussed that I was holding back it, it... one one last thing
1: I want to say keep an eye out for a particularly awesome um, underwater sequence inside of a, a turbine um, really goes to show how much silence and, like, actually slow, occasionally slow-moving things, how great they can be in an an action sequence.
0: Um, It kind of reminded me of something from Gravity, actually. Um, Oh, yeah, I mean, I could easily see that comparison. There's just a lot of craft uh, on hand here uh, by the director, so...
1: Absolutely. uh, I had
0: a lot of fun with... And and I'm glad to see that he's not a one-trick pony. He can't just write a... It's not that he can only write a good script and then nothing else so you... yeah no he's
1: i i hope that this uh i hope we can see him uh do more he also i believe directed the jack the jack reacher film with tom cruise which uh yep. did i believe pretty well critically um mm-hmm. i have not seen it but yeah so it sounds like he's got some pretty uh pr- you know pretty substantial mainstream talent so yeah I'm, i look forward to seeing more from him in the future definitely
0: yeah, and then we move on to the uh, film that just came out. It just came out, and we're reviewing. Just it. Just came
1: out, and we just saw it
0: today. Um, it's both really fresh
1: in our mind. It's it's really fresh in both of our minds. James is a little bit more so because I saw it at least a couple hours ago. Yeah, it's shooting. like a
0: few. He got, he, caught a, a few hours. His opinions have had a few more hours to bake than mine. Um, yeah. So take that for what it's worth. But it's it's the gift. Um, it is a, a thrill, a psychological thriller film. About a guy who's confronted from someone, about Jason Bateman who's confronted by someone from his past who is a little creepy, and I think that's all the plot synopsis we need.
1: That's really about it. I mean, I maybe even could have done this one. Like it's the the it, it's kind of like it kind of reminds me both in terms of the simplistic plot and the um, the limited, I guess. Uh, like the hermetic atmosphere of Ex Machina, actually, which I saw earlier this year, also uh, reminded me of Ex Machina in the sense that I thought the movie was going to be complete shit when I saw yes. the trailer. No, I thought it was I, going I... to be exploitative. I thought that they were. And honestly, I think in both in respects of both those films, they were advertising the most, like, l- like uh, sordid content of the movie as being like the main thrust when actually both of these were
0: really quite engaging psychological thrillers. Um, yeah, I, I did not have any interest in seeing this movie until I saw that it was getting good reviews and as shallow as that sounds, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, I I see the trailer made this look like such a run of the mill thriller. And that's why when we were talking about genre tropes in, um, uh, in Mission Impossible, I immediately thought of this film because I thought it was going to be nothing more than just that. This psychological thriller where the plot unfolds both predictably and unbelievably, which may sound like a, a um, uh, an oxymoron, but it's really not because it just unfolds in a way that you've grown to expect whether or not you can believe it. Um, and yeah, it was going to be this shamelessly manipulative uh, scream fest, you know, like the thing is- fest. The thing is, while I may have been a bit presumptuous
1: with uh, X Machina's trailer, this one, uh, for the gift, I distinctly remember a trailer that began with like different incidences of like people who were like real life instances instances of people who were bullied in high school who then returned to their bulliers decades later and murdered them. Um, Wow, that seems horribly insensitive. it, It was, and. It literally just, you know, it set me up to believe, oh my god, this is just a crazy guy from high school movie who's going to come and stalk and murder this poor couple um, and torment them. Um, I mean, while there's certainly uh, an element of... An element. There is... uh, There is a traumatic past that is coming... That is basically coming... To the surface, twenty years later, the way it plays out is decidedly less exploitative. Yeah, there,
0: there's absolutely nothing original about this premise. How no. how it how they what the director and screenplay does with this premise and how the plot unfolds is honestly completely original and completely engaging, and dare I say it, thrilling.
1: Dare you? Thrill- By the thrilling? way, this—it's
0: worth mentioning—the screenplay
1: writer and the director are both the, the same person playing Gordo, who is the crazy guy from high school, uh, Joel Egerton. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah who, this is this, is, this is, is first this is first movie directed.
1: Yeah, and written like this is this is all him. Um, and I don't—is this based on any pre-existing material? I don't believe so. I don't
0: believe so. No, it's it's completely original. So. Impressive in that right. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one thing I will say is we were you were talking earlier about uh, you know a sense of like in, in terms of David Fincher his skill with character. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to first off give major points to this film for actually using its premise to explore characters and their relationships with one another uh, in terms of trust in terms of. Uh, you know, concealing things about themselves in terms of, uh, you know, dynamics between, like power dynamics between characters. There's a dinner scene um, earlier in the film between essentially the three, the three leads played by Jason Bateman, Rebecca Hall, and Joel Egerton. Um, And there's Hitchcock has a saying that there's nothing, cinematic about people sitting down and talking but um you have to you have to film it in a certain way that people know what's being said or the dynamic that's going on between these people even if the sounds turned off and you can't hear the dialogue
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and it was riveting to see cross cutting conversational cross cutting done with a purpose to indicate doubt among characters to indicate like a character tension power over another tension, tension was a big one. absolutely um and paranoia so many things communicated with cuts and stares um the dialogue obviously being surface level hinting at what goes underneath because it's a civilized you know dinner setting um boy that was really riveting to watch i have to say it, it made it made something that you know shot reverse shot we've seen it a million times if it's done right if it's done with the proper framing and the proper um motivation and attention to character it can be really gripping stuff and it made something as simple as a dinner conversation really like it made it cinematic and that's you know that, that's i've been using the word cinematic a lot but that's you know <laughs> I, I feel like that's, that's why we're here guys come on that's why that's why we're here though i want i want i want a reason for this to be a movie um so you know, major props, I guess, to Joel Egerton for, uh, I mean, honestly, proving himself quite a capable hand at directing. Also, holy shit, Joel Jason Egerton's perf- and, and yes, Jason Bateman, really, all three main performances—they're all incredible. There's not a there's not a weak. Yeah, no, there's so, not a weak
0: link here. I know you're about to praise Joel Edgerton, and I was, yeah, by all by all means. But I had I had interrupted with Jason Bateman because I really expected this to be sort of a uh, a puppeteering effort with Jason Bateman because I've never really known him to be an actor who can stand on who can stand on his own. Um, but he added so much to this that I didn't see that uh, that the director just using him for what what he's good at. You know, he he had so much to this of his own um, that he's, I was so impressed with.
1: Yeah, Jason Bateman's generally known, I think, for playing the straight man in a comedy.
0: Exactly,
1: uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, something like Arrested Development.
0: I, I uh, mean, he's had a dramatic role in, in, in Juno. Uh, in you know. Juno, which actually, I feel like they almost tapped in a
1: bit to his Juno persona because there's definitely a dark side to him.
0: Yeah, he's that, a character that isn't... An all-around good guy like he is presented on the face.
1: And you can sense his manipulation immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the thing. You don't really know what he's done, but you can kind of sense that he's he's playing people. And he's playing, he's playing for his own gain and for the protection of his family. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that... I won't give too much away, but basically things come to light about something that Jason Bateman has done in the past that are certainly does not reflect well on him um no
0: it doesn't. And,
1: and their development this movie develops ultimately to be a huge indictment of jason bateman's character
0: well okay um, so so yes you are you are you're right it is an indictment of jason bateman's character well, but my fear will... was oh go ahead well my, my fear was as i was noticing that that it was just gonna completely flip and make joel edgerton Edg- sorry Joel Edgerton's character sympathetic and then Jason Bateman's character well, odious yeah but it was not that simple at well that's all. what I'm saying it never
1: I was I was literally just gonna say it doesn't ne- it never surrenders up Jason Bateman as a as a perspective his character never surrenders a it, 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 he he remains a character and he remains a human and and has a perspective even to the end of this movie um which ultimately makes it
0: that much more chilling and tragic. Um, And they never let Joel Edgerton off the hook, either, for stuff Um, he's done. In fact, they go on to expose him as eh, probably even worse than you thought.
1: It's true. Really despicable. Um, There's not really a good person in this movie, except, I I suppose... Robin, Robin, yeah, Rebecca Hall, um, who... I will say, a large chunk of the the film's second act, I think, is really devoted to her um, getting to, you know, coming to terms with who her husband actually is, and I thought that that was a pretty interesting arc. Mm -hmm. Um, In retrospect, though, I felt like she actually kind of got left out of the climax of this movie and the end of the movie a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 in terms of not in terms of her not literally being there as a character, but mm-hmm. in terms of her development as a character, I guess, in terms of her perspective, I feel like we almost lost it a bit in the third act, um, which I felt was a bit of a shame because she was really engaging. And uh, honestly, it's not often in. I wouldn't call this a horror movie. I would definitely call it a th- no. thriller. Yeah. Um, but it's not often in, in a sort of a, a tense movie like this that you actually have a character who ultimately like has to deal with anxiety attacks, like, <laughs> which I thought was kind of an interesting turn that actually had, ends up having a very subversive twist to it in the end. Um, but I don't know. No, they, the filmmakers, Joel Egerton... <laughs> <laughs> did not d- did not take any character for granted, I guess. Um, and in one sense, I just criticized the climax, but actually the, the, the climax was also one of the great reliefs of mine in the movie. Because seeing how much care was being given to at least portraying these characters as people and, and as being, you know, someone who, even if they're terrifying or you're tense around them, you could... Kind of uh, see their, you can see from their perspective at some point. Um, I was afraid that the film's ending was going to devolve in some way
0: into like most like most s- movies of these genres do: it's horror, psychological thriller. They just they they devolve into these uh, predictable, as I was saying in the beginning, <laughs> most predictable and unbelievable ways. And I, I, I think it was neither one no it, yeah i was afraid it was gonna be some kind of chase
1: or ultimate like physical confrontation mm-hmm. um turns out we actually have an incredibly slow and quiet climax um and it's it subdued was, and it also so weighs so heavily fucking chilling that i love this movie creeped out to know. Yeah. Yeah, like oh. I, I love this movie disturbed and violated um and it was cathar, but in a cathartic way, where I I felt, I felt like I had just been played like a piano, and to to a wonderful melody, like or a, a, I guess maybe a chilling one. But I, either way, it was it was really, I don't know. It was it was great to be suspended in that way, um, and I haven't experienced that in quite a while uh, in a film. Um, mm-hmm. Also, just to mention, like a lot of the different things with with the camera that Joel Egerton did did, particularly his use of like focus or lack thereof to make an image creepier by just diverting where the focus is placed.
0: Yeah, really good framing in that respect too, because yeah. the things that were out of focus were were almost as important as things that were in focus at, at some points, and uh-huh. it, it, it relied on.
1: It's the ambiguity of the lack of focus that made them really effective. Um,
0: exactly. It was. It was honestly. It was. It was audience manipulation, but in the best kind that you. It was. It was challenging the audience to find what's important in every shot, which is not a. It's not a thing that lazy throwaway filmmakers do. Um, no, there was even. I mean, I mean,
1: there'll be even times where there's kind of a mysterious shot, and you won't really have a real explanation or understanding of what it was until like much later in the film, like almost an hour later, I think like it, 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 it's things like that really put a lot of faith in the audience. Um, there were a couple times, like actually two instances in particular, and this is such a nit, these are such nitpicky things. And I'm saying, are you are you talking
0: about the jump scares? The one, yes, mainly one the one involving a dog. Um. So yeah, there's these happen like right after There's one that's a dog, and then there's one that's a dream sequence. So, so neither yeah. of them that both of them are kind of cheap. Um. Yeah, the dog one really took me out of the movie because the, the,
1: at, up until this point, this film was like. It, uh, all atmosphere and character. And mm-hmm. it was, it was like kind of, it, honestly, I felt kind of hermetic in this house. Like, that's another way that, it, you know, it, I, I honestly, it felt like it could have been just like a little stage play, almost like ex machina. It could have been, you know, Yeah, exactly. In, in this limited setting. And it was all ambiance. Um, and then the, the, dog had gone missing. That was a, that's a plot development that happens in the film. And, and you hear barking off in the distance, and you kind of know immediately when you hear it. Oh, the dog's out there. She's gonna, she's gonna go see the dog. Um, and they honestly could have just played it where she walks toward the the door, the dog is there, and that's just unsettling and weird in and of itself. Like, it's it's just back. the dog suddenly back. The dog's yeah. suddenly back. But they have to play it like a. They have to play it with a jump scare and yeah like the, the, dog, the music the builds dog, she
0: approaches the door and then
1: and, the, and the dog bah! like in no way that any dog ever like I, i'm sorry i know dogs like, <laughs> yeah that dog was like possessed by the fucking devil it was like it was like quiet and, like you hear one bark to draw, draw her attention to the door and then she approaches and then the dog's dead quiet until she gets right to the door and once again the shot's out of focus and then bah! the dog comes out
0: of the side of the out of the side of the frame. That was totally unnecessary. Um. No, and then, and it's, right after I said that, I mean, sorry, right after that happened, you know, I looked at my roommate and we both say something that we've said before that every, everybody gets one. Alright, every film gets one like. I know, but I actually got scare. scared at that point because I, I didn't think it was that kind of movie, and it isn't. It still isn't that kind of no. movie. That that jump scare is just really it's, misplaced. I don't it's know true. Why it's no, there. and I said everyone gets one, and then right after is like almost the next scene is that dream sequence jump scare we're talking we uh, we talked about. So it's like I was really worried that it was just going to be lazy and again that predictable, unbelievable. In retrospect, way. though, even that second jump scare. Also, it just doesn't even make sense from a character perspective. Because no, it doesn't.
1: Because she wasn't afraid of him at that point. She wasn't afraid of him. She's actually weirdly sympathetic to him. And throughout the film, even, everything that happens, she's always she's always perceiving things through his perspective. She's a perceptive enough human being to uh, empathize with this person who we've, as an audience, have been set up to believe is our villain. Um mm. And he's certainly not a good guy, but, uh, and he is, I mean, essentially he is the villain of the movie, but like the moral, I will say this much, the moral lines in this, the, the film actually draws are, are about as out of focus as that jump scare shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And
0: to see her, to see her have a dream where the, where she's afraid of Gordo doesn't add up. Um, yeah. and, and it, I'm really glad though, that the rest of the movie completely went away from those sort of themes or ideas and it did not uh, e- even ways in which it played with the audience and never there's came back one, to there's one more and this is
1: the tiniest thing it's literally one cut um, this is this is a similar thing that I had about uh, the end of the Dark Knight Return or the Dark Knight Rises um, it's a scene I believe it's the second time that Joe Egerton is over at the couple's house and he's helping take out the trash or whatever. After like kind of repairing a TV or setting up a TV, and he's in the the kitchen, and he's he and, and you see him looking at the fridge, and kind of this this grimace comes over his face, and he leaves the room in a in a hurry. And the thing is, in, in the scene prior, you'd seen Jason Bateman take a, a, a pen on the whiteboard, cross out his name Gordo on the whiteboard where his number was listed, and right weirdo over it which was his you know what they used to make fun of him with in high school um and that was like a a scene or two earlier and i remembered that and i and i knew immediately what he had seen um and the robin then goes over looks at the fridge and like you know grimaces herself and was like oh damn it and then the camera cuts to show it it's the littlest thing but I actually kind yeah. of like I felt like it drew attention to it. I'm like I didn't I didn't need you to do that. I knew what he was looking at.
0: I mean it's not quite head saying they're moving in herds um in no it's two, but no no it's it's like the
1: smallest thing it that that actually really doesn't weigh in my estimation of the film at all but like it's just one of those small cutting moments i just like oh like it you you give us so much credit like elsewhere as audience members in the movie you should just just left that like two second bit out but um, yeah
0: yeah I mean, that's, that's, that's as, as you can thing, tell we're but... trying we're if well, I'm trying looking, to find things to fucking. Yeah, looking for so, criticism of the film. We're grasping a, at straws, like yeah, we're totally grasping at straws. Not a, a whole straws. lot. It's it's really good and original and fresh. And and honestly, Mike, I want to just quick comment about uh, uh, these last two reviews. We've made remained largely spoiler free, uh, which is I hope new territory
1: to for us. especially about this movie. I, I I the ending in particular is is one I don't want to ruin for anybody because it it it's a harrowing ending it's 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 something that will i the feeling i had when i left the theater was was so pleasantly unpleasant Mm -hmm. that i don't want to ruin it for anyone else um but yeah
0: i uh, no i'm i definitely recommend this one Uh, honestly probably more than than uh i mean in a different way probably more than than a Mission Impossible. It's weird to talk about
1: them in the same breath. Um, I like honestly, the gift. I don't want to say anything too early. It may be a contender for like a, t- a top ten of the year retrospective potentially. Um,
0: no, I mean I, the more I'm I, thinking about it, it's like it's it's a standout honestly of the films I've seen this year.
1: It's 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 great. I I really really did love it. Uh, yeah. I I don't know. I don't wanna I don't wanna go into too much more detail, but like shit they they did not take the easy route with any single character in this movie. They, they didn't cop out for any one of them. And obviously characters, some are mentally disturbed. Some are just assholes. Some are are terrible people, but they don't, they don't use that as an excuse to then just characterize, caricaturize them the rest of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we didn't, we didn't talk about for that long, but our, our praises, our praises have been heaped.
0: Yeah, no, that's I'm, I'm I'm okay with it, man. All right. Uh, so we we actually got saw like re- re- main review two pretty good films, which we haven't been able to do in a while. I feel like I feel like our our weeks have been
1: so. Uh, I feel like I've literally been a zigzag every single week. This week all positive. Last week was all negative. The week before got deleted, but it was all positive. Before <laughs> that, what what did we do before that? I think it was. Uh... I don't remember. I remember. Well, we... you you weren't there that week. Oh right, week I wasn't that. there the week before. But it it was Terminator. Um, That's right. So... And then before that, we did Inside Out, which I was hugely positive on. So I've been. Yeah. It's 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 been a zigzagging experience for me. I don't. I uh, go through I, the motions, man. Having a very interesting summer at the movies. I'll say that. <laughs> I never. It's constantly throwing me for a loop.
0: Yeah, man. We have. We have, Mike and I have been going over a lot of different plans for future episodes. Yeah. Um, there's on the table doing a uh, forgotten favorite that I nominated called Ruthless People. Um, it's a comedy starring Danny DeVito and Bette Midler that came out in, I believe, 1986. It um, just
1: came out of the blue, but man, I, I, I'm very intrigued by this
0: yeah i I love it so if you get a chance I don't know if we're gonna do it next week, but if you mm-hmm. so, but if you get a chance five listeners uh watch this movie somehow um so you can join along with us when when I finally do that forgotten favorite because I think this easily for easily meets the criteria um more so than my last nominee <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I figure. I figure if I do one from 2014, I might as well just go 1986. Like, it? fuck, go 1953, James. <laughs> find,
1: find a Betty Davis movie that just no one knows about, and that you want to sing to high heavens. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and we also have in the works some like, let's just say some theme episodes that uh, if if we can, that they won't even necessarily have. I guess anything new in those particular episodes but like we would be reviewing films all tied together with a theme and i i want to get really ambitious with this in the future it's been kind of hard to plan these last couple weeks and like like i said things have been so crazy and lots of fucking movies have been coming out that we want to talk about and we didn't even get to the biggest one this week not biggest in terms of gross because no one's seeing it but just everyone's talking about fantastic four so we hope to get to that next week. We will get to it next week.
0: but yeah. Regardless, though, I do think it was a great show this week. And it's going to be a great show next week. So as always, thank you for listening.